we began, we, last week we began uh, our Advent uh, series looking at, um, well, technically this is the first Sunday of Advent if you do the church calendar. Not our church calendar, the church calendar, you know, so that somebody put together somewhere sometime. I don't know who it was, somebody obsessed with dates. <coughs> Kent can tell you who it was because he knows things like that. I don't. Um, and uh, this is, so this is the first Sunday of Advent, but because I'm such a, I'm, I'm, I'm such a high church person, uh, we, uh, we do our own thing and uh, get comfortable, I will. And um, I started Advent last week because I always focus on it between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Shoo-wee. Now I can see where we are. So Advent, that uh, time of waiting, of expectation, waiting. We're waiting for Christmas, the day we celebrate the birth of the birth of Jesus. I mean, as you know that, and um, <clears throat> well, see, I say as you know that, but that's not the common, it's not the common viewpoint in our <clears throat> in our society. It's not the it's not that the, the time when we celebrate Jesus. Christmas is just well, in their minds, Christmas. You know, it's it's sometimes devoid of any religious connotations, but we know differently. So we get to celebrate the birth of Christ, the incarnation, the, the, the that time where God Himself took on flesh. That's what incarnation means, the, an enfleshment, uh, taking on taking on flesh. Um, it's the time in which He set aside His power uh, to a degree, and some of His power veiled His glory somewhat came to earth as a baby. If he didn't veil his glory somewhat, we would not have been able to, you know, humans would not be able to stand before him. Scripture is pretty clear about that. And uh, in, in the book of Philippians, it talks about that. He's fully human, yet at the same time, fully divine. Another thing for us to wrestle with sometime. Uh, but the fulfillment that so many prophecies about that promised Messiah, that deliverer, came to set God's people free. But we're also in that time between promise and fulfillment as we also advent is that reminder for us of his coming again we are looking forward to his coming again we're celebrating his birth but we're awaiting his return we talked about uh, that a little bit last week our theme for this series is the star readily associate you know you you put up a star that looks like this one on the screen there and people associate that uh, with christmas it really gets a very brief mention in Scripture, only a short uh, mention in Matthew, where it talks about the star leading the Magi, the wise men. Uh, how many wise men were there? Trick question. We say three. <clears throat> Scripture doesn't say. See, there were just three gifts. So we go with three wise men um, on there. So now you get, when you get the bonus and win the prize at the Christmas party, uh, share it with me. Anyway. The, the star leads the, the wise men to Jesus, not in a stable, but in a home. They weren't at the stable. Uh, don't want to burst your little manger scene bubble, but um, that's not how it is. And you've probably picked up on the fact that we're using multiple meanings for the word the star. Uh, what we're looking at is the star whose light drew at least the magi to the star who brings life to all who respond to his light and transforms us so that we might be a star um, as his light shines in us and through us so that we can draw people to the true light 
that gives light to every man. Did you get that? Right faster this time. I'll say it one more time for you. Well, we'll go through it later. You'll listen to it later. Uh, so anyway, together we're looking, we're looking for the light as we follow the star. And today we're looking at the journey of love. Because the star really is that reminder, uh, God's love is that brightest love. It is that real love. It's the love that never gives up. It's the love that conquered sin and death. We just celebrated that in communion. It's a love that surrounds us daily. It's a love that fills us eternally. It's perfect love because it's God's love. It's perfect love. That's a love we don't know here on this earth. You might know a great love and you might, you know, you, you, you might have a great relationship with someone that, is, that you might describe as perfect, um, but you still argue with them. <clears throat> Just a thought for you. You know, but God, this is, when we look at God's love, we're looking at perfect love, you know, love that, that God's love that's embodied in Jesus and shared so that we too could embody his love and then shine for others to come and see Jesus for themselves. Let's pray, and we're going to look at a few, well, a lot of different scriptures, but let's, let's pray as we continue on. Father, thank you for the reality of the love that's with you. We talk about it, we don't get it all the way. We just don't. So I pray that you would enlighten us a little bit more today. None of us have the full handle on this. So I pray that you would help us to understand you and your love and the reality of what it is in Christ a little bit more today. Make your word real and alive. Make our understanding. You need to quicken our understanding because we are limited, very limited. So enlighten us and use this time for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so the ladies went on a shopping trip yesterday, and I'm guessing that they're not done. But let me ask not just the ladies. Is anybody here completely done with their Christmas shopping? Let me rephrase that now. How many of you are, are, have just given up on Christmas shopping? Ralph, are you listening now? How many of you have just given up on Christmas shopping and don't do Christmas shopping? That's what I thought. I knew that hand was, a, I knew that first hand was a, was a sneaky one there. How many of you have not even started Christmas shopping yet? Way to go, Ange. We, uh, I haven't either, but Ginny has. So, see, that works well for me. Um, the, uh, we had a friend who didn't do Christmas shopping until Christmas Eve one year, and everybody, after he got off work on Christmas Eve, most of the stores were closed, so everyone got a gift from the junk aisle at the grocery store. He said it was an interesting Christmas. Uh, and he had kids. Uh, you know, so anyhow, um, how many of you just... Just rather forget about the forget about shopping and go straight to Christmas dinner. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's, that'd be a good thing. So now, whatever you feel about Christmas and Christmas shopping and giving, Americans spend a lot of money on Christmas. We just do. We fl- according to the National Retail Federation, I looked this up. I found it kind of interesting. From Thanksgiving Day through Cyber Monday, so we're just talking a long weekend here. More than 174 million Americans shopped in stores and online during that five-day weekend. I'm not sure who counted them all, uh, but that's what they tell us. Now, they expect the holiday retail sales in November and December, excluding, not counting, automobiles, gasoline, and restaurants, not counting those. They expect to increase between 3.6 and 4% for a total of 678.75 billion to 682 
billion dollars. That's a lot of that's a lot of zeros in there. Um, I was working on this sermon and had this up on the screen when I was putting it together. And Jenny stopped by the office and she said, "That's six hundred eighty-two billion." She says, "That's billion." I said, "Yeah, I know. That's a, that's a, that's that's a, a chunk of change." Um, that's up from 655.8 billion last year. This number is a bit staggering, but uh, I want to give you another number for a, a minute: 66 billion 750 thousand. Now that's smaller than the, than the first one, but it's still a significant, uh, still a significant number. If I had this much money, I should just be doing what I'm doing now. I mean, when you think about it, that money shouldn't make a difference. I should still be doing what I'm doing now. Uh, but that would, you know, that that's still a, a, a good chunk of change. Now, what this is, this number here, that is how much the American Pet Products Association says was spent on our pets in 2016. Americans spent 66 billion 750 million dollars on their pets in 2016. For 2017, it is estimated that Americans will spend 69360000000 on their pets. $69,360,000,000. That's how much money Americans are on pace currently uh, to spend on their pets this year. And that brings me to a question. Why? I mean, now don't get me wrong. I've had pets, and, you know, I think dogs are worth having. Just leave that there for a minute, uh, you know. And and uh, you know and uh, you know. But anyway, anyway, we do, we do become attached to them. There's no question about it. We become attached to our pets. But really, sixty-nine billion dollars for animals that really just cause us more work. I mean, we think about it. We have to walk them. We have to clean up after them. We have to vacuum their hair. We have to take allergy pills so we can be near them. Uh, you know, we have to clean the tanks. We have to apologize to the neighbors for the things that the animals have done. That would be the dog, not the cat. Well, sometimes the cat. But anyway, you know, I, 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 when you think about it, um, our pets should be paying us, you know, only they're not gainfully employed. So, you know, but, but we love them, so what do we do? We spend our hard-earned money on them, and we spend our time caring for them. It's not because of anything they've done for us. It's simply because of our love for them. That's why we spend this money. Now, this isn't an exact comparison, you know, but it does start us down the path of recognizing some things about love. Um, think for a minute about God's love. Um, how do you perceive God's love for you? You know, when you think about it, do you feel you need to earn it? Do you wonder if God's love was meant for you? I remember discussions with my brother and him telling me, you know, Pat, I'm glad that works for you. It's just not going to work for me. You know, some don't think God's love is meant for them. Do you see the overflow of God's love in your life toward others? Because the reality is that we have salvation in Jesus simply because God loved us. Not because of anything we've done for him. Not because of anything we add to him. But simply because he loves us. 
Let's look at a few things about love. There's going to be a lot of different scriptures on, on the screen today. I marked a, a, the, some of the main ones on the top of your outline for you. I'd encourage you, you know, jot some down maybe um, and, and on your outline as we go through this and look them up a little bit later. Uh, you know, because what caused God to enter our world through his son that first Christmas? You know, it's a love, his love that was present, and it was present throughout all creation. You know, it, it's a love that's, well, it's enough for each day and for each one of us, and it's meant to overflow in our lives. Now, if we're going to grow in our understanding of God's love, first we need to realize that God loved from the start. He loved from the start. God's love did not just begin when Jesus came. That is not when God's love started. He loved us from the start. We often talk about Christmas as that time when love came down, and there's a song with it in there. If I could have remembered it, I'd have sung it for you, but maybe it's a good thing I couldn't. You know, but, but we say God's love, or love entered the world as a baby, and while some of that's, you know, that's true, uh, we would be mistaken if we didn't take a longer view, if we didn't take a, a, a more complete look back in time to the beginning of everything. You know, the history of our world, the revelation you know, we see in the Bible, it's a love story from the first day of creation, meaning love was already present. It's the story of God's love for his people, his plan of redemption to bring us back into a relationship with himself because of his love, not because of anything on our part, but because of his love. God is not some distant uncle who suddenly shows up with a gift that nobody knows what to do with. We all have some of those gifts that we don't quite know what to do with, and we don't want to get rid of it because some, so-and-so gave it to us. Uh, we used to do a family grab bag with, you know, when my mom was still alive and for a few years after she passed, where myself and my, my siblings and, uh, you know, and, uh, and the uh, grandkids, my mom's grandkids and everything, and we would get together and we'd make a gift. I have several gifts that I have that I haven't gotten rid of simply because somebody in my family made them for me. Uh, you know, not because it's some of them I don't even use. Some of them are broken, but I still have them because, you know, because, uh, you know, somebody gave it to me that, that meant, means something to me. You know, but God is not that, you know, not just a guy who shows up with this gift that we don't quite know what to do with, you know, nor is he the cold and miserly disconnected figure that grudgingly gives us something like Ebenezer Scrooge, uh, you know, uh, uh, an, an occasional token here and there. Uh, yeah, love did come crashing down in that stable in Bethlehem, but it existed before that. His birth was simply a continuation of a long history of love. In John 17, Jesus says, Father, this is during his prayer, as, as he's praying after the Last Supper, before, just before the crucifixion. He says, Father, I desire that those you have given to me, uh, given me to be with me where I am, then they will see my glory which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. Before the world's foundation, Revelation chapter 13, all those who live on earth will worship him, everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world. You see, from the foundation of the world in the, in the life uh, book of the, of the Lamb will be slaughtered. Now, his love for us today, this Advent season, it is not something new. Psalm 139 
It tells all about God, you know, who knew us intimately before we were born. Part of it says, my bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret. When I was formed in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Before it began. Second uh, Timothy chapter 1, he says, He saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. First uh, Peter He says, for you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from the fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was chosen before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the time for you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. God led Paul to write Ephesians. In the first chapter of Ephesians, as he's writing to them, he says, For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy, blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for himself, according to his favor and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, that he favored with us in the beloved all before the foundation of the world, he says there. What we need to grasp from these verses is God's love does not depend on us. It does not depend on us. It is not because of who we are. It is because of who he is. It is not something that we have to earn. It is not something that we have to perform to maintain. It starts with God, not us. It starts with him. God is love. It is his nature. It is his character. It is part of his very being. It existed before creation. It existed before time. His love, you know, his love for us was there from the beginning of time. It will continue throughout all eternity. That can be a mind-boggling concept for us to grasp. But what we need to do, you know, as we pursue this journey of love, is we need to accept God's love, that it existed for us beyond the constraints of time. It was beyond the constraints of time there, beyond the constraints of space. It's beyond the limits of our understanding. God's love is not limited by our understanding. It's a love worth focusing on, worth meditating on, worth soaking up during this season as we prepare and as we wait to celebrate his birth and for his coming again. He loved us from the start before time began. Another reality about God's love is that his love is enough. His love is enough. Now, we can have a hard time sometimes loving God. We can have a hard time because we can't see him, you see, and it's hard for us to connect with that sometimes. We can have a hard time accepting his love for us because we can think we don't deserve it. You're right. You're right. We don't. But you see, that's the nature of love. Love is not because it's deserved. It's love that is given. We can doubt sometimes that his love is enough to cover all the pain, the hurt, the selfishness in the world. Watch the news, and it's, it's just a, a more than a bit overwhelming. We can wonder sometimes if his love is enough to cover the pain or hurt in our own world. And we can 
wonder sometimes why we don't feel solidly connected to this love we hear so much about. We wonder why does it seem so distant from us. Despite what we know in our heads or believe in our hearts, there's a daily struggle to live in the reality of God's love for us because it is so different from our own ability to love. And we begin to connect it and bring it down to our own ability to love. It may be, you know, it, it may be vastly different from the love or the lack of love that you've experienced in your human relationships of life overall. Because we've all been hurt in love and through love. And sometimes, instead of love, we've gotten hurt from those who should love us. Let me remind you of some good news this morning, the best news really. God loves you. He loves you. It's not just the next person. It's not just something that will work for me and not for you. God loves you, not because of anything you've done, not because of anything that you have yet to do, not just for today and he's going to take it all back tomorrow. That's not how God operates. It's not like the father or mother or spouse or ex-spouse or friend or enemy who let you down or hurt you or abused you or misused you or twisted the intent and the reality of love and instead inflicted damage on you or pain, heartache. Can seem so hard to heal and let go of sometimes. God's love for you is pure. He loves you purely. He loves you perfectly. He loves you entirely. He loves you lavishly. You don't have to earn points to muster up love from God. It's not because we deserve it. He pours out that love to us no matter how unlovable we might feel, no matter how unworthy we might feel. He still gives us that love and he pours it out on us without end, it says. Think of those who were present when Jesus was born. Think of those who were, who were there. They didn't fit into the most lovable people box. You know, you have this bewildered, young, average, humble, engaged couple, really. You have a band of shepherds, and if you're living out in the fields, keeping watch over your flocks by night, you tend to, as the King James would say, stinketh. You smell funny. When we used to go on uh, on uh, uh, camping trips into the, bound, into the Boundary Waters and, and Quetico Provincial Park up in Canada, we would be out there for a week, and, uh, you, you know, you live by the campfire and you know you all your clothes fit into a, a, a compression sack about about this big for a week this big this tall and about this big around um, so you're wearing the same clothes a lot and and uh, you know you you don't notice how much you stink and you come back and they pick you up in the van and the the, the guide graciously smiles and drives you back for a shower and you shower up and everything and then you come out and the next group comes in and that's when you realize you st how stinky you are because it's like, oh dude, you stink. Haven't you taken a shower? Well, we already know, you see. So you have shepherds that come in 
And they come in from the field, you know, and you have this stinky group there. Now, we don't know how many people the shepherds told, because we told, you know, the scripture tells us as, as the shepherds went out that they, they told people about this, this thing they saw. We don't know how many of those bothered to drop by, you know, for that short time. And then you have this group of, of uh, foreigners that come in later, you know, the, the, the wise men, as we call them. And you have to, where would you fit into that scene in Bethlehem? You know, where would you, you know, where would you be on that, that night so long ago? Where do you find yourself now in that picture of coming before God? Where do you find yourself now? See, no matter where we are on that journey, God's love is for you. It's more vast, it's more perfect than anything that, that we could ever fully and completely grasp this side of heaven. It's worth opening your hearts to now. It's worth opening your hearts to and your mind, your soul to receive, to be drawn into it deeper and deeper all the time. You know, maybe it was a little bit like the prayer the Apostle Paul prayed for the Ephesians in, in the third chapter. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. He says that, you know, he prays that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted, firmly established, in love, firmly established in God's love. Can you imagine what that feels like? Not that bouncing around, firmly established in love, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length, the width, the height, the depth of God's love, that you would understand the enormity of his love even more, and that you would know that you would have this experiential knowledge of the Messiah's love, that love that that sent him to the cross for us, that love that surpasses knowledge, it says, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the prayer that Paul prayed for God's love. It's deeper, wider, longer, higher than we can imagine. We can't embrace all of it. You know, it doesn't change when our feelings do. God's love doesn't change, you know, like our feelings. You know, even when we feel distant from God, his love is there, and his love is still there beside us, even when we don't feel it. The people of Israel had to feel abandoned many times. In fact, you can see it throughout Scripture. You can see many times where they did feel abandoned, and they call out, and you read the Psalms, and you go through the Psalms, and they say, God, you know, where, where, where are you? What's going on? You know, I, why are you so distant from me? They struggled, you know, I'm sure, to believe that God still loved them when it took so long for this promised Messiah to come. Waiting is hard. Waiting is very hard. You know, but, but when they grew weary, when they grew weary and questioned, his love never failed. They were growing weary. They were having questions. They were wondering what was going on. But God's love didn't fail. It was there all along. It was there to carry him, to sustain him, to bring him through the uncertainty. And in the right timing, in just that right moment, God's love delivered in the birth of the person of Jesus. God made flesh. God in the flesh come down among us. Jesus was God's love with skin on it. And they got to experience that. Nothing can shake God's love. Nothing is stronger than it. God's love will never fail us now as we wait for Jesus. As we wait for this second coming, figuratively through the advent, as we wait to celebrate his birth, and then the reality, literally, as he comes to earth, you know, to complete the ultimate completion of his work, his love will not fail us. In Romans, Paul gives a description that I, I love it. It's, it's worth hanging on to. You know, it says, you know, I am persuaded that not even death Death nor life, angels nor rulers, things present nor things to come, hostile powers, heights, depth, 
or any other created thing. In case you think there was something that he left off the list, it's right there. Or any other created thing. There is nothing else, he says, that will have, that has the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. His love is enough for whatever we find ourselves facing in this life. His love is enough as we go through life. But then we also need to grasp the reality that his love overflows. Are any of you having company at Christmas? Anybody having out at anybody having company stay with them at Christmas? Anybody? You know, yeah, it's 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 nice. I mean, it's a it's a family time. It's time where you know people get together and you have other people come in and they come in from out of town and they'll stay with you for a while and that. And uh, you don't have to raise your hand on this one, but anybody going to be a little tired of them after a few days? What is it? Fish and company smell after. Oh, begin smelling after three days. You know, it's a, a little bit. We love we love family and togetherness, but you know, there's sometimes a, just a little bit too much togetherness for us, and it begins to rub us the wrong way. You know, even though we raise those kids, uh, they have their own house now and they're doing their own thing, and they come, you know, and they they stay with us for a while, and they do things differently than we do, and and uh, and uh, whatever it might be. You know, even those that we love the most, sometimes we have you know we had this little bit of a rub. Uh, a little bit of a rub that you know that that goes on, um, you, you know, for us, and, and um, we struggle with love sometimes more than we want to. It's the very nature of God's unending and unlimited love that it cannot be contained. God doesn't want it to be contained. The Bible tells us to love others, you know, even those who seem unlovable. Sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's extremely hard. We might even feel that's impossible. And when you think about those holiday guests sometimes, um, those that we struggle to love are sometimes the ones that are closest to us. Because they can be the people that we truly love the most, but they also have the power to drive us crazy. They also remind us of our weaknesses and sometimes bring up our deepest pain because they know it. So on a very practical level, this Advent journey of of love is about God's love in us overflowing to others. In reality, it's not something that we can do. we We can't do it long on our own. I'm not telling you, you know, just to suck it up buttercup and push on forward, you know, and love a little bit better. What I'm asking you to do is let it come from the source of love. And it can. Peter tells us how. Peter says, by obedience to the truth, having purified yourself for sincere love of the brothers, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. See, love one another earnestly, he says right there. But then he goes on and says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. He's not asking you to pull it up from within yourself. What he's asking you to do is to realize that you have, that you, that, that you have been born again. 
not of perishable seed. What's in us is perishable. What's in us is, is easily worn out, is easily frayed. He says then what we need to do is we need to tap into that imperishable seed. What God has planted in us. Having, what this verse tells us is that having a relationship with Jesus will affect the way we love. It will affect the way we love. Now, that doesn't mean that it's easy. Don't, you know, don't, don't get that. It does not mean it's easy, but it shifts the focus from trying to love, you know, from trying very hard in ourselves to love others to experiencing more the depth of God's love in a way that allows it to overflow in our life to those other people. I want you to turn to one passage, and we're going to move through this one very quickly. First John uh, chapter 4. It's on page 1,121 in the Pew Bible. It's, a, it's a, the longest passage that we're going to read today, but it helps us explain the connection between God's love and our love for others, the overflowing of God's love through us. First John chapter 4, drop down to verse 7. Uh, this whole, you know, you can read through this, this whole chapter, this whole book really talks a lot about the love of God. But chapter 4, down to verse 7, he says, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. He's, you see, he's repeating that phrase. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is perfected in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us assurance from his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the father has sent his son as the world's savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. Verse 17. In this, love is perfected with us. Love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. For we are as he is in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Now, there's a lot we could say about this, and there's a lot that we can unpack. Uh, but I'm just going to really run through very quickly, and it will be very quickly, five things uh, that we need to grasp, I think, that will help us uh, with this, that we learn from this passage. The first is that God is the source of love. The passage is very clear on that. Love comes from God. Now, when we're talking about love, we're not talking about these warm, fuzzy feelings. Love that he's talking about here is a, it's a commitment to value. It's a, a commitment to care for and to care about another. God is the source of love. Also, love is the evidence of God in your life. Now, the frightening reality that you need to grasp a hold of here is also very, very plain in this, and that's that you, the lack of love is a lack of evidence of God in your life. You see, love is the evidence of God in your life. The lack of love is a lack of God in your life. God's love completes us. 
the Holman Christian Standard, the King James Bible used the word uh, perfect, that, you know, that he's going to perfect that. It, it means to make perfect, complete, lacking nothing. That is, it's a, it's a completion there. Without his love, we will be incomplete. His love completes us. His love is reliable. We can have confidence because God's love is reliable, it's trustworthy, it's dependable. It's not fickle, it is not dependent upon our actions, it is not dependent upon our mood, it is not dependent upon, uh, upon anything but who God is. It's reliable because it depends on Him. And also that we are able to love others because God's, of God's love in us. His love overflows from His work in us. His love overflows within us and through us to others. It overflows to others. Love has a direction. It isn't these warm, fuzzy feelings. Love is action. It is, is action and it, is, it has a direction. And he says that, you know, it goes, that love goes toward others. So if we're having a hard time loving others, if, you know, if, if that commitment to value, if we have, we're having a hard time valuing others, if we are having a hard time committing to care about one another, it's an indication we are blocking or interfering with the work of God's love in our life. God's love is truly the whole reason we celebrate this season. Because he loves us. Let me encourage you to dwell in it, to abide in it throughout Advent and throughout the year. Meditate on it. Read the scriptures we've discussed. Read them over and over again. Let God's truth wash over you. Let it get a hold of your life. But let me challenge you as well to walk in God's love as it penetrates your heart, as it changes your heart. Walk in that love. It's not simply about words or even feelings of acceptance. It's a journey of action. It's a journey of truth. Love has a direction. The gift of God's Son we celebrate is God putting on love through the action of action through Jesus. It calls us to similar action. In 1 John chapter 3, he says, This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. Advent, Christmas can be an easy season to put this love into practice, yet in many ways it can be most difficult. Because it seems that's when some of the hurt surfaces. That's when some of the busyness takes control. That's when we, you need to choose to prepare your hearts expectantly and purposefully. And choose to live in his love. Put into practice his love flowing through you out to others. Allow his love to penetrate your heart. Allow it to overflow your heart with that direction. Out toward others as he's told us to. From him, the source of all love.